Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on for a very, 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 very special edition of the Dr. Pat Show. Um, and what do I mean by a very, very, very special edition of the Dr. Pat show? I'll tell you what I mean, but first need to say hi to the two gentlemen pushing all the buttons. Thank you, Olivia, for helping with this episode, because we are in the process of doing so many things, um, to change, not change, but to bring a bigger message out there. Today's show um, is is extremely important to me, and I didn't realize it. But first, let me say hi to Jacob, and let me say hi to Mr. Benny. Hi, Jacob and Mr. Benny. I could say Mr. Jacob, too. Hey, Mr. Jacob and Mr. Benny. I would hope there so. <laughs> <laughs> Takes some getting used to, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> Not ready for that yet, but, you know, it's okay. Benny, how are you today? Excellent. Thanks for asking, Pat. Uh, Everybody have a good time off? Yeah, uh, I went camping on the eastern side of the state and just enjoyed the sun, and I am still burnt. I'm not sure if you saw it this morning or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, because it was a scorcher, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love this beautiful weather. How about you, Benny? A good long weekend and having some Benny time. Yeah, and I I camped (laughs) in my backyard, so. (laughs) That's what I was just saying. You know, one of us has got responsibility. Yeah. That's not me. I think, I don't know if it's Jacob, but I have a different kind of responsibility. Um, I'll tell you what I do have a responsibility. And I think, Benny, in all the years you've known me, and Jacob, for the short time you've known me, there are certain things that I've been more vocal about than others. But today is a very important show for me. And today is June, the beginning of June. It is also the beginning of Pride Month. And I woke up this morning and, you know, when Linda said to me, uh, what are you going to do the show about? Do you want a guest? I said, no. I said, I got Benny and I got Jacob and I've got a lifetime of history. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was what is this day in 2021? What does it represent? And so what I want to say it represents for many things, there are many things going on, but it represents a new perspective on the community, the community that fought for their rights and to backtrack and to give a little history of it, because I was talking with a number of different people over time. Uh, these past couple of weeks, and I mentioned something like uh, Stonewall. Do you know what Stonewall is? Um, do you did you know what that meant? 
and where things began and certain perspectives. And what I realized was if we don't talk about our history, we will lose our history. And I'm, I'm speaking to all of you because one of the things that I'm also aware of is when I, when I go out and I speak, especially to youth, and I mention and I bring up words like Holocaust, and, I ta- and they say, what? Like Holocaust. And I am immediately reminded of what the responsibility is of my generation to make us more aware. Today's show is exactly what you think it is. It is the show that talks about LGBTQI. It's a show that talks about a history. And by the way, they've changed the labeling. They've made things so that we understand it more. Um, And so what we look at is what is LGBTQ plus pride. And there are a couple things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about the history of it. Because if we don't talk about the history of something, of any group, whether it's the Black Lives Matter group, or whether you're looking at a group where you fought for your spiritual and religious beliefs, or you're looking at what it means to fight for the truth of who you are and fight for a voice, it is very important to do. And the reason that I'm talking about it is because I don't want us to lull into a sense of forgetting what the battle was and how quickly those rights can disappear again. And so today, I want to talk about the history. What is important about facing history and facing history and ourselves? And I want to give reference to a couple of organizations. One is facinghistory.org. And if you go to facinghistory.org, you're going to be able to see that there are conversations with someone. You'll find Eric Marcus, and you'll talk, you'll see that what's happening is that we have heard about LGBTQ and pride, and we have heard about what it means, but we haven't really heard about the journey and what it was like. So I want to share it from my perspective because I'm a bit older than a lot of you. But many people ask, where did it start? Where did everything start? And, you know, thanks to the people at that organization I just mentioned, there is a timeline associated with LGBTQI, LGBTQ+. uh, And by the way, we're now changing it to G. Uh, BTQ. So whatever it is, you're talking about the lesbian and gay, right? You're talking, just in case folks don't know what LGBTQ means, I just want to say we're talking about the journey of people that have had to fight for their lives as so many others. But what happens in this group of people? What happens when you are they, when you are them? What happens when you are us? What happens when you look back at the journey and think to yourself, how did I get here? And that's where I want to start today, because you can read about the many, many things, right? You could read about this. You can go on and read about it. But when you say LGBT, 
Q. You're talking about lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, and plus people. And the acronym will continue to change. It will continue to be uh, defined over time. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, as, uh, as this is. This is the journey. And this is June. And this is about being out loud. And this is about remembering the fight. So I want to give you guys up close and personal perspective. Because sometimes I think we take it for granted. I think that, you know, we have made so much progress in the community. But what is at risk? And if we don't remember and if we don't hold on to the fight, then what happens? And we're starting to see it. We're starting to see legislation change to take our voting rights away. And when something as powerful as voting rights is being changed because something in a state doesn't go towards one party or the other, when that happens, then you make every group that has fought for rights and freedom vulnerable because those voting rights that got us to where we are today that got us to the place to really stepping out and honoring people as equals, those change and become vulnerable. And I just want to say about my state, Washington State, people say to me, Benny, they don't ask you, right? But they ask me, Pat, you know, um, Washington, why? Why are you here? Why would you be in a state that the sun doesn't the sun doesn't shine a lot of years and my answer always comes back to one answer and that is when i think about washington state and by the way there are other states i just i just want to say you know i'm a, i'm a kid from new york so i understand where the battle took place and i'm going to share where i was where i was uh on the on a on a very important day in history and how i got there and what that has come to mean to me but I will say this, Washington State for me has been an interesting place. It's been the place where when I think about the people in government that have come before, and I want to talk about one person in particular who sort of faded off into the sunset, Governor Gregoire. And I want to talk about Chris Gregoire for a minute, because what Chris Gregoire did before other people thought about doing it, is by far unprecedented. So what is it about Governor Chris Gregoire who signed a, a law? What did she do to change the landscape? What did she see? What did she believe in? Today, it's all about pride. It's all about celebrating. It's all about stepping up and understand what all this means. And how is this showing up in Hollywood? How has this been starting to show up in shows like Billions, where language is being brought to the mainstream, where we're looking at Asia Kate Dillon, you know, who plays Taylor and has created an entire language? What is it that we have now emerged as? And how vulnerable? are we going to be if we don't keep the history going let's take a short break everybody when we come back where did it start 
what did it look like? When people say Stonewall, are you thinking some fancy place? I'm going to tell you exactly what it was. And of course, Jacob will be putting up pictures. But when we come back, LGBTQ pride, pride, to get to that word, to get to where that is, to get to that understanding is literally a dissertation for every group out there that is fighting for their rights right now and fighting for their freedom and fighting not to be censored. We're going to take a short break, everybody. When we come back, we're going to talk about Stonewall. Was that really the beginning? Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. The Finder of Lost Things. Exploring your superpowers of trust, healing, and transformation with me, Hannah Belton. When my brother Christian went missing, I completely denied my grief. We can either transform and transition, or we can stay stagnant. This podcast will uncover the process that Christian and I went on to find the lost things, him, and to find the parts of me that were missing. And there's things that are missing in you that prevent you from letting go, whether it's a person, a dream, a lifestyle. That process of trusting and finding the lost pieces and and integrating them, that's where you get your sustainable transition that will carry on. Tune in every Monday at 9am Pacific on transformationtalkradio.com. You can find me at hannahvelton.online. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Hi, I'm Laura Goldstein, and here's a Coffee with the Universe tip. Let me ask you, how do you start your day? Do you wake up anxious and on edge, already feeling the pressure of your giant to-do list? Or do you wake up feeling calm, collected, and excited to start your day? Here's the little secret. How you start your day sets the tone and foundation for the rest of your day. A stressed morning creates a stressed, just reacting to everything day. A calm and connected to self-mourning leads to aligned and confident choices that help you reach your goals. So take a good look at your morning routine. What can you do to set up a healthy foundation for your day? To get some ideas and a sneak peek into my own Coffee with the Universe morning routine, go to www.coffeewiththeuniverse.net. Hey, everybody, welcome back for a special edition. It is June. Yep, the rent is due, stuff like that. All of that's going on. But this is 2021. And this is 2021, where this is all about 2021 
right? June and Pride Month. And so throughout the show today, LGBT Pride Month, LGBTQ plus Pride Month, whatever that means to you, you get it. This is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, uh, and questioning, and plus, and so much more than any of that acronym. But it's come to mean something. First of all, it's come to mean any time you see a rainbow flag. Now, how interesting is that? But what should you know about this? And what should you know about this month? And what should you know about what happened? I, before I talk about June 28, 1969, and I will talk about that up close and personal, because you had to be there to get it. And if you were there on June 28th, and shortly the days after, if you were there, Something happens to you, but you never thought in a million years that if you fast forward to 2021, that you'd be doing a show and talking about a teenage year experience. But before I do that, I have to really mention for me an interesting note about LGBT rights in Washington state. And this is really, to me, what I talk about when people ask me about the state that I live in. I talk about Washington state as a state of freedom. Although we know there are inequalities, we know we have a horrific homeless situation here that is going unattended. But when I think about this state, I think about the possibilities and next hour with Jessica, we're gonna talk about that more. But then I think about what happened in 2011 what happened here that was more than what was happening any other place in the world? It was a battle, a battle to get same-sex marriages, a battle. Every state, everybody participated in it. You know, the battle that was led from the fine state of Hawaii, you know, to bring a level of awareness to this. It was just unprecedented. But when I think about us, Something happened here, and people say this did not happen in any other state in this way. And Benny, you can fact check me on it, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I got this one. And so what happened was 2011, Washington State recognized same-sex marriages performed elsewhere as equivalent of its own domestic partnership. There it is. But this started earlier. You know, this started back in 1998, defining marriages here. 2006, Anderson versus King County, Washington Supreme Court. 2007, Washington State recognized its own state registered domestic partnerships. I mean, you're thinking about this and you're thinking, really, back then? But even before that, even before that, there were laws that criminalized this, criminalized people loving. But as time went on, something happened. And here she came, Governor Chris Gregoire signed a law authorizing same-sex marriages on February 13, 2012, but opponents gathered enough signatures to force a voter referendum. You know what I love about this? Benny, I don't know if you remember this. This referendum was so interesting because what they did is they jammed the voting referendum with both this particular voter referendum and legalizing marijuana. And the psychology behind voting is up for a whole nother show. But the idea would be, wait a minute, P 
people will vote for one and not the other, and they think marijuana is way more important. And guess what? They were so wrong. You know, voters approved the law in that November election by 54 to 46. And by the way, the marijuana thing, that passed too. So same-sex marriages in this state took effect on December 6th, provided Washington registered domestic uh, partnership people to convert automatically, right? All of this happening, all of this happening. If you didn't dissolve before 2014, you converted automatically. Why am I talking about any of that? This is 2021. We're in the middle of an epidemic. Why talk about pride? Well, I'll tell you why I'm talking about this, because if you really want to talk about an epidemic and you really want me to talk about what my life was like in the 1980s, living in New York City, watching a a mayor of New York City completely deny AIDS and watching gay men die left and right, painful deaths. We can talk about that because that's part of the history, too. But I want to go back and I want to thank Asia Kate Dillon for stepping out and saying non-binary. And we'll talk about that. But what happened? What is the history look like? For those of you out there, there's a great LGBTQ history timeline reference. And I think Jessica, uh, Jacob is going to be putting it up. And it talks about timelines that even go back to second century you know, that talk about 1623 and Francis Bacon. There's a lot here you could look at. And the history from what it was documented goes right through. And it goes through and it talks about years like 1925 and uh, blues singer Mae Rainey arrested in Harlem for having a lesbian party. I don't think that was in the movie, Benny, was that? When they did that movie with uh, May Rainey, I, I don't, don't know about that one. That. I don't know about that. I think they left out the lesbian party. I, I think, that, but that's what she was arrested for. In her house in Harlem, she had a lesbian party. She was arrested in 1925. Her protege, Bessie Smith, bailed her out of jail, Bessie, yay, the following morning. Rainey and Smith were part of an extensive circle of lesbian and bisexual African American women in Harlem think about that african-american women in harlem now you're arrested you know these are the things we have to remember we can make blockbuster hollywood movies we can give academy awards to people we can raise them up and say here's your award here's what you've done but boy isn't this an interesting note 1950 the first lasting gay organization was formed and it was formed in no other place but Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't know what New York was doing. Uh, they referred to themselves as the homophile group. And we could talk about what that means as we move forward. But this is some of the history that gets really important to look at. Denmark becomes the first country in 1989, you know, to legally recognize this is 1989, right? 1989. 1989. But as you move forward and you look at the history and you go from the 50s and you ask yourself, what has happened in the 50s? And then you move to the years where I was young, a young teenager living in New York. But at a time where when you went down to New York City and you went down to the village, I love saying that, you went down to the village, 
right? It used to just be called the village. I think now you got to call it the West Village because like something else happened in the village where you can't even afford to live there now. But the village, it was that place of Bob Dylan. It was a place where I could go as a young girl and walk into a cafe, Cafe Wa, and non-alcoholic and so you brought your own alcohol. Well, you brought your own everything in there. And, and listen to this guy sit down and play guitar and sing songs in this strange voice, this Bob Dylan voice, and talk about things that made no sense until you step back. You know, it was the place where this same guy destroyed, almost destroyed his fan base the minute he walked in and played an electrical guitar instead of acoustic. Those were the days when we talked about the nuances of music and we talk about them today. We see it in the legends of hip hop. We see it in the legends of, you know, hip rock that's coming forward. We see it in the people that have a message. We see it in the people that are coming out in pride and coming out in proud. We see it in athletes. We see it in musicians. We see it in everyday people. We see it in a teenager, in a high school, in Bapa, Washington. You know, we see it and we don't see it. That's why I'm doing the show today. We see you and we want to see you more. And this is why this is important. These rights that so many fought for, they will be gone in a nanosecond because we forgot what it means to honor each other. We forgot that politics is not a game, it's a matter of lives. We forgot that changing voter registrations in states is just not the right thing to do. In states where these rights for the LGBT community were made whole and now are at risk. But how did we get from the 60 and 63 and Cafe Wa to 66? How did we get to the riots in San Francisco in 66 in a cafeteria? How did we get there when trans women, trans women were denied service and arrested for breaking gender clothing laws. I mean, come on, right? But the question is, have we really changed about our transgender friends, sisters, brothers? Have we changed about them? Have we changed our perspective? Thank you, RuPaul. Thank you, RuPaul. Benny, RuPaul, best season ever. Oh, yeah. Thank you, right? Thank you, RuPaul. What's at risk? 66, Compton Cafeteria Riot, San Francisco. Trans woman walks in, denied service, arrested for breaking gender clothing laws. 1966, you probably are thinking to yourself, oh, that was like a long time ago. No, it really wasn't. It wasn't a long time ago. Do some of you run the same risk? I know my friend that lives in Louisiana probably going to get a child yanked from her. So while it seems we've come far, we need to take pride in 2021 and ask ourselves, are we, are we doing enough? I will tell you today in this show what I will be doing because I cannot forget my roots. But 1969, <sighs> what is it about 69? Let's get some 69 music up there, Benny. 1969 had to be one of the most crazy, impactful years of any century. 
1969, Stonewall, Woodstock, riots for people fighting for their liberty and their equality in the city that I graduated from, Plainfield High School, 1969. Let me tell you where I was when we come back from break. You're listening to the Dr. Pat Show, a very special edition of why LGBTQ history matters, even if it's not you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm the host of Nothing But Now, Mindful Living with Dr. Mary Angela McGuire on Transformation Talk Radio. I share ideas, insights, and tools you can use to release yourself from fearful and negative thinking and live from a place of clarity and confidence. Please join me in each show where we challenge ourselves to change together. Please go to my website, mcguirelifecoach.com. That's mcguirelifecoach.com. See you next time. Hi, I'm Trish Laub from A Cup of Comfort, where we talk about care hero topics that nobody wants to talk about. Here's your care hero tip of the day. During all care hero journeys, the need to keep track of a lot of information arises, some of it critical. Possibly the greatest challenge care heroes face is the gathering and organizing of information. Just as every trade has a power tool, whether an electric drill or a laptop, my family's care hero power tool was the three ring binder. We generated a mini library of labeled three ring binders, one for each category of information, complemented with additional spiral notebooks used to detail medical appointments and episodes. This unfussy and convenient system of binders helped my family stay organized and able to deliver the dignified care and end of life my parents desired. Tune into my show to learn more. See you on the second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 12 Pacific here on Transformation Talk Radio. Feel free to reach out to me at info at The truth is funny. Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance. From the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I'm giving you a flashback into the history. But this is important conversation in 2021. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think for a lot of us, the effects of January 6th on the grounds of the White House, on the grounds of, excuse me, not the White House, the Capitol. And for me, the lack of the ability of our government to really ensure all of our safety, 
to really figure out what was that about, to really figure out how to protect our rights. It's scary for a lot of folks. It does. It gets even scarier if you're watching the news and you're part of the African-American, brown, black community. If that's you, every day has become a scary headline every day. And so the question is, what do we have to remember about ourselves today? It's LGBTQ rights and why remember? Because if we don't remember these events and we don't remember what led up to them and we don't remember how this all came down and we don't remember why we moved to, towards a pride movement and we don't remember what was at risk for a lot of people, then it is going to be a modern day hands made tale. But it's not just going to be a handsmaid tale just for women or just for things that happen on a daily basis. It's going to be a universal takeover of voting rights that affect every one of our beliefs. So if you're a young woman or a young man and you are growing up and you, you, you look at yourself in the mirror every day, and I'm not going to talk about the suicide rates of the LGBTQ community because Probably if I shared them, you might not believe me, but I will tell you growing up every day and feeling like you're not accepted and the stigma and being harassed and bullied, you get to a breaking point. And I will tell you when that breaking point was, there was a couple, um, there were earlier resistance and riots. And let me go through a little bit with the history and then I'm going to get to Stonewall right away. But I'm telling you, there was something about 69. I'm telling you, between Stonewall, what happened in New York, and Woodstock, and much more, it was such a year of massive change. I often wonder what the planets were lining up as. But here, here it is. You know, on the fringe, right? We think about this a lot. On the fringe, what we were looking at were a few small gay communities who challenged gender expectations. There were a few of them. You know, there were people who dressed and lived in contrast to their genders assigned at birth, whether they did it full time or part time. This is what they did. And, you know, we're talking about times in the 60s. You know, this doesn't mean that things were not going on before that. But, you know, you had to know that when you heard in 1965 that there was Cuban prison work camps for homosexuals. When you started to hear these things, you probably, if you're me and you're living in New York City and you're growing up in New York City, you're kind of you're kind of thinking, I'm scared for my life. But even if you're scared for your life and you don't come out in the way we, you know, people come out today, you don't come out the way we come out today, but you're out. How are you out? You're going to the places where you can be by the people that are like you that love you. And so pride, pride has come to mean love. And it's come to mean love from roots that were so historically vulnerable and dangerous and powerful and rebellious. Greenwich Village, Manhattan, and Harlem, they were the home to sizable, and I'm not talking, gay and lesbian populations, even from World War I, and almost every kind of historical movie you see tries to emulate Greenwich Village of some kind. And you hear about this, and it became, it became safe. Why? 
it became safe because for a very profitable reason, none of the bars frequented by myself and my friends, uh, gay men, lesbians, were owned by gay people. Almost all of them were owned and controlled by, yes, organized crime. Why? Why was that true? Um, And even with that, even though they became these places to go, the owners treated treated the people that were regulars poorly. Everything from overcharging for drinks. Nowadays, you don't mind paying for an overcharged drink. But watering down liquor, overcharging drink. I need to tell you that uh, police officers were paid off. I mean, how else does this happen in a place where this group of people is not accepted? Stonewall was located, I think, on Christopher Street. I don't know exactly the cross street, 51st, something like that. Jacob probably knows. But it was there, and it was there with other establishments. And guess who owned them? The Genovese family. And so in 66... You know, the mafia invested close to four grand or more and turned Stonewall into a gay bar. It had been a restaurant. It had been a nightclub for heterosexuals. But why? I'd love to interview these people, but they did it. And when they did that, once a week, police officer would collect envelopes and cash. It was a payoff. payoff. It was called Gayola. Benny, don't be laughing. It's a true thing. Is it really? It's true. Not payola. It was called gayola. That is a thing. And it became very profitable. The payoff for both police and crime families and these establishment was an economic issue. But for the LGBTQ community, these places were home. These places were safe haven. These places had dancing. These places were places people could come. You know, the legal age, of course, was 18 Um, but what happened on this day in 1969, as usual, you go to any place like this and you're greeted by a bouncer and you know, it's a bouncer. And now we see, but you're greeted by a bouncer and you're inspected at the door. And because of legal drinking is 18, certainly for me, I had a couple different licenses there, but unwittingly, Even the bouncer let in a couple of undercover police. They were called a whole lot of things. Lily Law, Alice Blue Gown, Betty Badge. These were names. This was a thing. This stonewall and this environment that became a safe haven for people that once they left the village could be beat nearly to death on any other street corner but here. The entrance fee was a whopping, um, I remember it as more than $3, but it's $3. You know, you get two tickets. Um, It it was typical back in the 60s. That's the way things worked. You had to sign your names into a book. You had to sign your name into a book to prove that you were walking into a private establishment. Nobody signed their real names. Just, hello, hello. Nobody signed, but you had to sign your name Uh, and you would sign your name in there. And then there were two dance floors at Stonewall. uh, Very, very dark. It was dark. I think a lot of the rooms were painted black, but it was very typical. It was dark inside. Pulsing lights, black lights. It was the whole thing. If police were spotted 
the lights came on. So you went, you went from this totally black. This is how. This is so cool. You you're in this black black room, black black room, music, strobe lights, and then somebody spots a police person in, and all the lights go on. Everybody's all the lights gone. Then you get to really see who you're looking at sitting across from you on that bar stool. But here you are, and two dance floors, and so in the rear there was a small room, and. That was the room that was, um, I don't know how to put this, you know, that's where, let's just say Queens went. Dressed up, hair, beautiful. Beautiful. And only a few would try to buy them drinks. This was a very interesting clientele. But if you're the average person, if you're me, if you're you, and you walk into this place, you're there because you're feeling safe. But what happened on this night? What happened on this night? Here's what happened. So those without identification, right? It would be an issue. Bar management usually knew about the raids beforehand. So let's just be really clear about this. Everything was orchestrated because nobody wants to go against organized crime or definitely you don't want to go against the Genovese family. So everything was organized. You would get tip-offs. Everybody knew this. We now, as we look back on the history, it's very clear. You can Google this. You can look up the history. There are books written about this. But this is what you're not going to find out about. When you think about what the requirements were, when you think about this, and you think about the period before June 28th, where there was a frequent raid of local bars. You have to think for yourself, if you knew this, why would you go there anyway? Including a raid at Stonewall the Tuesday before that riot. Why would you keep going there? Why would you do that? Mafia owners of the Stonewall and the management blackmail their wealthier customers. I mean, this was a hub for disaster for horrific acts of cruelty, for horrific acts of blackmail and injustice against people. But why would you keep going there? And then one night, two undercover policewomen, two undercover policemen entered this bar, Stonewall, to what? Observe, gather visual evidence, to ask the question about public murder. They were part of what's called the public morale squad. And they would signal to outside. Once ready, the undercover officer, officers would call for backup. Stonewall's employees, you know, this is, what, this is what you know. If you're tipped off about every other raid, then what happened here? One or two things. Nobody remembered in management of being tipped off. So this was orchestrated in a way for some reasons we we'll probably never know about. But when you take a look at Stonewall and the double doors that you walk into and police in that night and what happened when the music was turned off and the lights were turned off and approximately 200 people in this bar, but I'll tell you, it felt like more. And patrons who had never experienced a police raid before, confused. A few may have realized what was happening at the doors, but imagine being in a place where you thought was safe. And then it wasn't. 
And like cattle, you're ushered. And you're told so quickly, you can't even figure out how to get out. But people are trying. They're trying to find ways out. Are there other doors? Can we escape? Why are we being herded and gathered together? And why am I sharing this with all of you? This is June, it's Pride Month, and we need to remember the history. Because we can, if we don't remember the history of all those that have come before, all of the Harvey Mills, all the people that have come before to fight for rights that nobody ever thought the community would get, nobody ever thought this would happen, to fight for these rights. We are so vulnerable right now that these rights can be taken away in a second. And by the way, in certain states in the United States, they are being taken away. But here we are in 2021. It didn't go as planned. Why wouldn't it go as planned? Let me give you a clue. Walk into any bar, I don't care LGBTQ or go to any bar downtown Seattle, like in the middle of the morning after people have been piling down the liquor and walk in there and try to arrest 200 people. So I love when the police tell this story and you should have seen the headlines the the days after. Standard procedure was to line everybody up, check their ID, Female officers would take customers dressed as women into the bathroom, verify their sex. Can you believe that? Like how? 1969, folks. Crazy. And upon which many people appeared to be men and dressed as women. They were arrested immediately that night. Those dressed as women that night refused. Thank you, RuPaul. Now, I'm not saying RuPaul was there. He's too young to be there. They refused. So this was different. Men began to refuse to produce their identification. Police decided to take everyone present to the police station, 200 of us, 200 to the police station. After separating, those suspecting of cross-dressing in a room in the back, right? And those not. Everyone remembers a certain version of this. When you hear me talk about it, I just want you to remember it's not that long ago. Matthew Shepard is not that long ago. We've almost forgotten him. Not that long ago. You know, a a young woman in a high school in Bothell, not that long ago. A young woman in a community in Montana, not that long ago. A young man in Miami, Florida, not that long ago. Not that long ago. The biggest fear of everyone was that they'd get arrested. The second biggest fear was that the picture would be in a newspaper or television report. And in 1969, if that was you, your life was over. Light was over. Everybody could feel the tension in a room. Where do you go from there to a riot? You can imagine yourself what it looks like. June 28th. 1969, Summer in the City. That was probably the song playing. 28 cases of beer, they say, and bottles of liquor were seized. Not sure why that was. Um, There were people arrested at the front door. If they didn't leave quickly as usual, they were stopped outside. The crowd outside began to grow. This was the issue. This is what was going on. Whenever you bring people together 
that a harm has been brought upon them, whether it's the reoccurrence in the recount of George Floyd, or it's your friend being beat to death two blocks from your house because of the way he identified or she identified or they identified or it identified, you are going to have a breaking point. And this was the breaking point for the LGBTQ community. This was it. This was 100 and 150 people outside. A lot of them were released. Police cars, the crowd, police pushing people left and right, kicking people. Gosh, I, if we'd have had cell phones then, you'd have seen this for real. You can look at some of the pictures. You're not going to get very many of them. Because back in 69, the media just didn't tell the truth. Today, they don't either, but thank goodness for cell phones. Some people were released. The first patrol wagon, wagon arrived, and there were so many things that happened. People were shoved. They were pushed. They were loaded into, I don't know, what do we call them? Police cars. But then the break-even point. A scuffle, it was more than a scuffle, they call it a scuffle, broke out between a woman in handcuffs that was escorted from the door of the bar, waiting a police wagon several times. She escaped repeatedly, fought with the police, swearing and shouting 10 minutes, described as a typical New York butch, a dyke. So why am I telling you this? Because many people don't know how the riot started. The story that doesn't get told is what happened at Stonewall to the lesbian population and the women that were here. This is where the rubber hit the road. This is what happened. And this, this woman whose identity remains unknown, some people know her, some people can remember her, went berserk. Went berserk. It was that moment, that moment right there, just like many of us who marched, who were part of marching and marches for equal rights, white rights for women, rights for people of color, rights, LGBT. There was these, there's always a moment where you can feel it. Seattle, you know, Capitol Hill. There's a moment you can feel it. There's a moment that you can feel something's going to go too far. When there is a woman that you try to take to a door and put her in a wagon and she escapes several times, you must get to the point where you think this is explosive. But they didn't. And at that point, it was over. The police tried to restrain the, the crowd. They knocked down people, incited even more. The handcuffed people in the wagon. You had to be there to see this. The handcuffed people in the wagon literally escaped from the wagon, handcuffed. They had to be left attended. This was the beginning of a movement that could never be reversed. Many people asked me how I felt about George Floyd. They asked me about what I recollect. And I said to them in a recent interview, I said, you know, George Floyd was a nightmare, a disaster. It was so sad to watch. It was heartbreaking. It was gut-wrenching. But the courage that emerged from there, the courage of a young person to video, the courage of a man to hold on for that many minutes, the courage of the people around to stand their ground, the courage of what happened in that moment, as hideous as that was, 
that was a stonewall moment. That was the moment where you said you've had enough. That was that moment. And there have been so many other moments. There are moments, and there are going to be more moments. Because this moment set the stage. It set the stage. What then came next, the cops didn't get paid off. The people in the crowd started to throw coins. You're lucky if you didn't get hit in the head. They were throwing pennies. There was so much that went down on this event. There was so much that this went down. The police were outnumbered at this point by 500 and 600 people. Grabbed several people, including folk singer and mentor Bob Dylan, Dave Van Ronk, who had been attracted to the revolt. So remember what I said to you. This was my playground. This was me going to hang out with Bob Dylan at the Cafe Wall, listen to music, Stonewall, many other places down there. This was the village in the 60s. And so here you are, and, you're, and you now have ignited a spark that was never going to change. When you talk to people about this event, and when you ask, what was it that you felt in your heart? And I will tell you what my answer is. There's only one answer, and it's the, it's the voice and the sound that resonates to this day. If you haven't heard this voice because you feel better, the economy's opening. You think that we're on the path to something great. You think that we will go back to a new normal. Pride is to remind us of the journey that so many people have taken to step forward because what they felt inside was the collective consciousness of a group of people that had been persecuted, where crimes had been hidden, so much mimics what we see in the headline. It was done. Not going to take it anymore. Not going to take it anymore. And then for three days later, it continued. But that wasn't going to be the end of it. This became the beginning of a movement. As we're watching in the headlines, a beginning of a movement. And I will tell you that beginnings of movements they take on an energy and a life of their own. And so many people were damaged on that night, were hurt on that night. So many people stood up for their rights on that night. And it's so important as we enter June, and I'll be referencing Pride Month all along the way, that we remember why we call it Pride. 